Welcome to In The Hopper, a real estate, community, and business development show where we discuss future projects coming down the pike in our city. Brought to you by Belgian Development and hosted by yours truly, Akeem Brown, the conductor. Harpreet Singh is the owner and principal of Amrit Developments. Raised in Edmonton, you may never have assumed Harpreet would be some successful real estate developer one day. Nevertheless, as he grew up in his business career, he developed an uncanny ability to recognize undervalued assets, a skill which perhaps will help us understand his love for Edmonton and the Edmonton story. Harpreet was recently featured by Edify Magazine as one of Edmonton's top 40 under 40 in 2021. It is now my pleasure to introduce Harpreet to the show. Harpreet, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, found out about you uh, when I was looking through the Edify magazine one day and I saw the top 40 under 40 uh, entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in the Edmonton market. And I thought, that's a guy I need to know. Who is this guy, Harpreet? Uh, what is Amrick Developments? Uh, when it comes to your experience in Edmonton, I know you're in the real estate market. And uh, you, as a developer, you keep your ear to streets with different trends and different things going on. And in 2022, I was just curious, uh, being a lifelong Edmontonian, how you describe the real estate market in Edmonton right now? It's unbelievable what's happened. And I mean, it's only been a couple of months, but you know, the the upward swing is is continuing. Um, we thought it slowed down a bit, but I think it's uh, it's it's a very hot market. I think a lot of out of town buyers, um, like Ontario, Vancouver, uh, Ontario, British Columbia, investors are are starting to come and seeing them come here the prices have gone up um <clears throat> excuse me in various assets uh, asset classes like uh you got rentals apartment buildings you see land values going up they're they're just coming in because they can't find anything there so i, th- I do believe we're in a in a, a a boom as they say but i think that people should be cautious as well i'm a little bit cautious just getting into this because of how fast it's gone up in the percentages and, and are these actual buyers or are they just investors for now? Right. And I guess uh, that's a really uh, interesting take because uh, you, before this uh, interview started, you mentioned you've been in the real estate uh, business since around 2004, 2005. Yeah. So yeah. would you say this is like a 16, 17 year high of activity? I think so. For my for myself, like looking at it, I mean, um, 06, 07 was a, a, an amazing boom. I was too young to, to to take advantage of it, but I was involved in it. This is unbelievable. I think um, this is the highest I've seen it, for sure. And um, that scares me sometimes, too, because Alberta has the up and down swing. And, it you know, you just don't want to get caught, you know, being at the top of the mountain, right, and then coming down. So yeah, I think it is the highest I've seen it. When it comes to the Edmonton market and some of your projects, uh, we talk a lot about um, on this show about the experiences people want to have and the yep. experiences people want to feel. When it comes to the developments you uh, you start and you uh, bring to the market, what kind of feelings do you want people to invoke? What what, what do you want people to feel uh, when you bring a development to the community? So you know, for us, we're, we're the small guy. We've always been the small guy. We started with nothing. My dad's a welder. My mom worked uh, as a janitor in the hospital. So we didn't have a lot of money to, to do development. So our biggest thing in our developments is bringing the small guy, uh, the small builder, the small guy up. Um, because we're still small guys, we're, you know, 
that's how we look at ourselves. The communities we get involved with, um, I'll give an example of Charlesworth. We had 93 lots. All the lots went to smaller builders and they all were successful in these developments. Um, were able to sell the houses, did a great job, performed, and the developer was happy. Uh, so it was a win-win situation. But the feeling you get when uh, the small guy shakes your hand or, or, or asks for another opportunity or you know, went from building two homes to four homes or four to eight, <clears throat> I think that um, that's the, the feeling we want in our projects, to be there for the small guy. Because you, know, you get the big, big boys, it's easy for them. They drop, you know, and I'm not saying it was easy for them. They obviously started small as well. Right. Some of the, you know, some of the challenges we've had is um, not to, not to think that way. To always be there for the small guy, and it takes time for us to 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 make sense of that. Sometimes it, it's not always the easiest. But in our communities, we the feeling we want is we help the smaller guys. They helped us. It became a win-win, and it's a big development. So that's kind of the, the what we're going for. I love that. Sounds a bit like the story of Edmonton um, in, in the context of For Canada sure. and the North America market. Like it's kind of the uh, underdog, if you will. Uh, 100%. I love it. I love, to, I, I love being the underdog and I love my underdog builders um, that always are, you know, you should see the things that happen in these communities. It's, it's, it's unbelievable where you got the big guys who, you know, are, are always watching the smaller builder and, and mm -hmm. complaining about him. And I, f I always find it funny. <laughs> like, you're rebuilding 100 homes. What do you care if this guy's building two homes and right. you know, you know, maybe doesn't his, his trades didn't come on time because he's just a two-home builder and he's a little bit slower than you. Big deal. But it's funny how that happens. And I think Amrick uh, um, has, has made those moves in the market to help these smaller guys. And seeing them successful is what we want in our communities. Cool. And as a developer, have you guys positioned uh, your developments for single family lots or more for like multifamily? A little bit of both, uh, mostly single family right now. But, um, you know, we are uh, uh, working on some multifamily projects as well with some of our builders. They've grown. So with growth comes more opportunity. One of our builders, Jai Homes, uh, they, you know, they, they bought multifamily in Emerald Hills in Shard Park. So they're, they're going to be doing their first multi project. And you know, these guys started with two homes four years ago. Wow. So it's great to see that. So definitely, I would say majority is single family to answer your question. But we are dipping into multi-family um, lands as well. And in accordance with like the Edmonton 10-year uh, plan, I think there's a lot of push for density. Uh, how do you see the kind of push and pull between uh, multi-family and single family homes as a developer? Uh, building in Edmonton, like for the push for maybe the city wanting more multifamily and uh, maybe there's some benefits to having um, single family homes. Like how do you kind of, how do you square that and how do you kind of read that as a... I think COVID's changed a lot of things. I think, um, you know, multifamily is great. Don't get me wrong. Like what I'm seeing, um, <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of groups are building multifamily. There's a lot of rentals going on. And I think that is going to continue because of the price point and rental market here. Um, we're the lowest, I believe, you know, one of the lowest major cities in the province, uh, or sorry, in the country. And I think you're going to see a lot of multifamily, but I do feel that COVID has changed the dynamics of where people live, how they live and where they need to be. Commuting isn't that big. Um, you know, commuting has, has been reduced, obviously, with COVID. And I think single family homes 
I've, we've seen an upward swing on si- single family homes. Everybody wants to be on the outskirts in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Whereas before there was a lot of push towards, you know, closer to downtown. I, th- I think COVID changed that a bit. Who knows what's next? We, we have no clue what's happening. Um, once this pandemic uh, is completed, but I do, do feel single family homes uh, are on an upward swing. Yeah. And I mean, that would make sense. Uh, COVID, uh, kind of scaring people to come together, I guess. Um, that whole six foot thing at the beginning For and sure. all those uh, aspects and how it's kind of maybe it might permanently change the way we interact, uh, you know, forever. Who knows? For sure. And <laughs> even if you look at homes, uh, a lot of the homes there, <clears throat> people are always going for smaller homes. Now they're going for larger homes. They want a bigger den. They want more backyard space. They're spending more time at home, right? Mm-hmm. So is that going to change back to normal? I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to t- change people, right? So Yeah, exactly. And speaking of forecasting and looking ahead to the future, uh, technology is kind of the coin of the realm these days. Everyone's saying, oh, how can we disrupt it with technology and all these things? And it doesn't matter what the industry is. But in real estate, it's uh, called prop tech, property technologies. And it within all the sectors of real estate, construction, property management, and all these different areas, can, uh, there's so many uh, areas for disruption. And I just wanted to understand from your perspective, um, you know, how you're looking at prop tech uh, initiatives, whether it be security or um, building uh, maintenance or uh, any any kind of area of the real estate process, even in finance, it could be fintech. Uh, have you have you looked at any of these uh, areas with interest, or uh, how have you guys? It's funny. Uh, just recently, we we started looking at a company called LotView. It's a software company that. Uh, going to integrate with Amrick and all our builders to, to, to simplify and streamline the process. Uh, because as you're expanding, we have had these issues where um, if you miss something or something's not done right, or, you know, during the process, there's so many variables. You get a developer, you got landscape deposits, you got so many different areas of, of, um, uh, of the development that if you miss one thing, this could be a problem and your reputation could be on the line. So I believe property technology is important. I think we all need to look at it as, as developers or, or business people. Um, and we're looking at one. Um, we, we actually just signed our first contract last week oh, cool. with a company out of in Seattle. So um, oh, cool. pretty excited for that. I still don't understand it, but I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm a little bit old school still, right? Got a pen and paper guy. So. Hey, no, there's a place for that. Uh, I know that uh, with PropTech, uh, it's uh, it's exciting for a lot of people who are in the tech industry to look at real estate because it is such a, it's one of the oldest asset classes in the world, right? And uh, sure. it's very slow moving, um, traditional, and uh, there is a lot of opportunities to perhaps innovate. Um, and I know that uh, developers who have their eye to the future with net zero and all these other uh, um, uh, priorities, uh, Leveraging technology should be an interesting uh, way of accomplishing that. For sure. Um, and speaking of disruption in real estate, uh, you know, are there any areas within real estate, based on from your perspective as a developer, uh, that are ripe for disruption or that you wish kind of would be innovated? Yeah, I mean, when you say disruption, I would say like like we did a uh, um, it was in the Western uh, Journal as well we've started to deconvert buildings that were converted in 2007 for condos that should have never been converted. And I was part of that. I, I mean, um, we were converting old buildings, selling them as condos. They were never condos, you know? And so these buildings have sat and they've been just sitting and, and, and the reserve funds are depleted. The condo fees are high. Every owner wants out. So recently we did uh, a 90 sweeter 
uh, another in Century, it's called Century Plaza. Then we did one in by McEwen called Bella Vista. And these are, we're talking 60 owners in the 90s. We got them wow. all together, put it together. And then we did another 23 sweeter. And in fact, I recently, uh, on February 28th, uh, yesterday, closed the first building I converted. I purchased it back on 4804 34th Ave. No way. Juniper Apartments. It was the first building in 06, 07 that I converted. And, and then we, we just went back and bought all the units back. And it's funny, the, the, the price I paid and then what I sold them for condos, there was no value add. The buildings have actually come down in value based on these old condos, right? Wow. So, you know, give you an example, I paid 100, 125 a door. I ended up buying the whole building back for 100, 15 years later. And wow. It's a good building. It's not like that. They've put improvements in. So I think that's an area that needs to be looked at by a lot of developers. I mean, there's no secret. It's not like it's a secret that we're, we're given out there. But I think there's enough buildings out there that, that need this attention. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be a, a disruption. That's an interesting way of thinking of disruption. Disruption is just taking care of what you own. That's a, that's a, that's a cool, that's a cool take. Uh, and I understand you've done, you've, you've been very successful uh, during the acquisition process of your properties. Like you're really good at getting a lot of properties at once. Uh, Who told you that? <laughs> well, just, you know, doing some research online. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to the acquisition process, um, is there uh, a way without giving up too much of the secret sauce that you guys have approached, uh, you know, land acquisition or buildings? Uh, like, how do you how do you guys kind of streamline that process as developers that's maybe different from the rest of the market? You know, it's honestly, it's an old school way. We just, we, we, we hunt, right? And we look at properties, relationships. We leverage a lot of our relationships and, and it's still old school. We have guys on our team uh, that have done a successful job in, in finding assets. And then just looking outside the box when we look at a deal, you know, trying to skin it, there's always a different way to skin the cat and we just look at it and say, how, how can we make this work? We're actually doing a deal right now that um, we've got under contract and it's it's probably one of the most unique deals I've done. I can't disclose it because we right. closed in a room of conditions, but just looking at it and, and finding a new way to do things I think is important. And I mean, streamlining, yes, we, we do it the old fashioned way. We, we go out, we hunt, we make our calls, we, we look at stuff and, and we have a good team to do that. But I still think that that is how we've been able to get good deals, I think, is by doing it the old-fashioned way to some extent. Okay. Um, yeah, sounds, uh, sounds, sounds pretty straightforward, uh, going out there and actually turning over every rock kind of thing. For sure, yep. Uh, which is, seems to be the, uh, the harm part. Uh, I, like, I, like your, I like your take so far. They're very... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, man. I, I've, I've tried to do everything that I can, but you know, the old-fashioned hard work pays off. It, it honestly does. When it comes to the, when you actually acquire a, like a property, um, I know that with some homes and some uh, there's some innovations in finance. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to kind of your financial approach when it comes to the acquisition of a building. Like, is there is there unique ways that developers or uh, prospective uh, landlords aren't really thinking about when it comes to uh, the financial creativity in a deal? Like, perhaps like zero percent down or something like that, or any of those kinds I of think elements. Zero, yeah, no, I, I like the question. I think so. When I started real estate, I didn't have any money. Um, you know, we back then you were able to get uh, a mortgage on a condo with five percent down, right? And they gave you, you know, CMAC would kick it back and there's creative ways to do it. Um, but I do think that you do need equity. Um, and when you're looking at zero 
100% equity deals, like um, like I've done, I've done a lot of them. You're giving up so much of the pie, um, and you're you're just you're always at somebody else's mercy to some extent. I think leveraging your relationships with partners is is, is the right way to do it. Um, it's just, it's honestly simple. Like I've done a lot of zero percent deals. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough, but I do think like like um, just going back to this Juniper apartment uh, building, our our um, cost per door is about a hundred a door. It appraises out as a building at one thirty a door, so we'll be able to go back to a conventional bank like Bank of Montreal, Alberta Treasury Bank, and refinance very quickly because we've added value already by just acquiring and putting the pieces together. So, so I think zero percent equity is great and. It, there's ways to do it, like CMHC is doing a lot of different um, construction project financing. But I do feel you always need cash and, and good partners. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, or you could, I mean, there's probably some developers out there who just uh, develop a building on the behalf, like as a service. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. You know, no that equity, just kind yeah, of thing. Absolutely. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, as you mentioned. Um, and sweat equity is always important. I think, you know, like as us young guys, we, we still need, you know, the hustle. Yeah. If you hustle and you can show value to a guy that has money and, and you know, you guys partner up, there's, there's, there's always that combination. It's been going on for hundreds, uh, you know, decades, right? So, like, you know, going back to one of my deals, I did a deal in Hinton. I had no money, uh, but I was able to, you know, buy the second mortgage with my uncle um, there was 27 encumbrances on title behind us. We went into the foreclosure process and we ended up vesting title. Like we took over the building, but we gave everybody a chance that was behind us. And we ended up adding value immediately and refinancing it within six months and pulling all our cash out. Oh, wow. So I, I think there, I think you always have to add value, whether it's creative or whether it's sweat equity, one way or another. I think there always needs to be some equity, As a- some sort of equity. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's a lot of different approaches there and you can get creative, which is why I think you've done so well. Like it sounds like you have a very imaginative mind when it comes to the financial um, acquisition process. And I'll, you look at a deal a lot of different ways, which is, which is really unique. Um, when, it, when it comes to your approach um, with, uh, with real estate, what is your, what is your kind of background? Are you a finance guy, construction guy? Kind of what, where'd you come from? Oh, um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. I, um, I was in school, like just did, like everybody else, right? My parents wanted me to be a doctor, lawyer, whatever, engineer, professional, right? They're immigrants, so they said, go to school. I took a year off. I was buying and selling cars. One of my cousins used to come from Vancouver, come here to the auctions, buy cars, go back to Vancouver, sell them. And, you know, just driving the M- M3s, and I always like cars. So I'm always like, man, this guy's such a cool dude. I was like 16, right? Yeah. And so I just go with them to the auctions just to go hang out with them, right? Because I idolize the guy. And, um, from there, my dad, uh, I just convinced my dad to help me buy a truck. I think it was like 1200 bucks. I was at McNally at the time, high school, and I used to drive it, and I put it in the paper, and I sold it. I think I made, I'll just say 1000 bucks, right? I, okay. Somewhere in that range. Yeah. Not a lot of money, but. When you're you know, a kid. Yeah. I was yeah. 17, 17, turning 18, um, grade 12, and I made 1000 bucks. could have been a car. So I just, I just kept going into it, and my dad, I, I give my parents a lot of credit. They trusted me, and they were able to. Um, say go ahead go do this right Mm -hmm. so that summer we were just in the auctions buying selling so I started becoming a wholesaler gotcha and I didn't go to school after um, I went and just uh, bought and sold cars for a year 
I think my mom was pissed off, so I had to <laughs> end up uh, going to school. I went to Grant McEwen. Okay. And then University of Saskatchewan. But I always curbed cars in between, like in, during the summers or during the, during the semesters. Wouldn't do a lot, but just enough to make good money. And we, we were doing pretty well. And then the, the dollar exchange had changed back in, uh, I want to say, 03-ish. Um, a lot of the cars I was selling were in Vancouver. They were going to the States. That game changed. So I ended up getting into real estate. I bought a condo. Renovated it with my dad, sold it, bought another one, sold it. Just kind of started with single family then mm-hmm. and just, you know, kept growing. And I always liked real estate and I, I, I just kept growing and things worked out back then. We were able to sell a lot of houses, add value, add, you know, get legal basement suites in these Millwoods houses. And people would buy them because, you know, they could end up having a rental unit downstairs. This was back oh four. Like I was 22, 23, I think. Wow. And so, you know, that was kind of my background. But I... I do love that I went to the auctions for the first four years because it helped me become very decisive in make, making decisions, which is not always good either, right? When you make a fast decision, you end up, uh, you can end up hurting yourself too. But I, I do feel that, that the auctions help my, my career. Yeah, it sounds like you developed a skill for uh, finding or developing an eye for undervalued assets. Yes, I, I love doing that because no, we didn't have a lot of capital and you had to. The only way to do a deal was find a look at the property and look at a way how can you add value right and that's the print that's the name of the game in real estate like if you see something that's undervalued and you've done a wonderful job of this just saying hey well how can we make this better and this is there's a it's kind of like a hidden gem right for sure yeah for sure you are the Edmonton story (laughs) (laughs) this is thanks man I uh, I think there's a lot of lot of us out here right yeah there's a lot of us out here that are that are in the same boat and uh, I mean the grass is always greener on the other side but you always look at things and and you say, man, try to help younger guys, try to give them advice, do it the right way, and uh, and, and the Edmonton way, right? The Edmonton way, yeah. and that is a thing. Uh, I'll let the listener figure that out for themselves. Uh, but uh, with regards to your work so far as a developer and being in the real estate industry, do you have a favorite project to date? Yes and no. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to answer this very um, straightforward. Um the projects that I lost, I always went, I, like I went through uh, very close to bankruptcy. So the projects I lost in 2009 were, mm. I'm going to say today, because I can look back and be positive about it. I mean, it was a struggle back in 09. Those projects that I lost to the bank were the best projects to date because I learned so much uh. of what I missed and what I didn't do and how I could have been better. And as far as, you know, one of my favorite projects uh, is, is, is a project we did in uh, Edmonton. It was a two-acre site, um, nine lots. We had no clue. Like, we bought the land, didn't even know who to call. So we found, found a guy. He found, introduced us to Sheffer Engineers, who then helped us through the process. But again, didn't know anything about land development and planning whatsoever. And, yeah. Planning, nothing, nothing. And just did it, kind of figured it out. That's amazing. That was a, that was a cool project. But I think, you know, going back to 09, just finding solutions um, in a bad situation right. helped us finish that project on bonus wind. And as an entrepreneur, do you still have that kind of mindset where you're like, we're going to, I see something here, even though I don't know all the pieces, I'm just going to shoot first, ask questions later kind 100%, of 100%, always, yep. And it has to be the right project. I think as, as you get older and more experienced, you do find... Um, um, you're a little more cautious, obviously, but mm-hmm. you know, because we've been hurt in '09, we, you know, making sure that there's an exit. And I always find you need you need A, B, C plan, right? You need a few plans, yeah. 
you know, if it's just one, if it's just one way, you're always leveraged, right? And you're always under the gun. This, this uh, podcast is called In the Hopper, which means something coming soon. And uh, I wouldn't be able to let you go without asking if there's any projects coming up or you see on the horizons <laughs> that uh, get you excited or you can maybe hint at. Yeah, for sure. We got a project in uh, Leduc, actually, uh, Robinson, that we bought from Cantier Developments. It's a 68-acre site with, a f- with 417 lots. And so we're pretty excited for that project. And um, again, we're learning a lot as we go and we're realizing how big of a project it is but you know slow and steady we'll, we'll get through it and uh we sold our first uh, phase out uh, a couple of weeks ago starting another phase so we're really excited about that project and i'm working on something else in the city that uh i, I can't can't mention north here, or south of the river south okay i'm a south side guy so oh, okay so <laughs> south okay sure. yeah cool pretty cool project coming up with that robinson uh development uh 68 acres uh are <laughs> How do you activate a site like that? I'm just curious or think about programming it because that's a lot of land. Like, are you thinking about like a Coventry Homes of the world or like nope. a partnership or like, nope. how does that work? Well, we, we, the way we structured that deal is more of an option agreement on gotcha. the 68 acres and we uh, get partial discharges as we move forward. Okay. And Capture Developments is an amazing uh, company to work with. Uh, they've really helped my career in land development, um, you know, and so we're just working. We have a creative deal with them. And it's a, it's a win-win situation, so everybody everybody wins on the deal. Awesome. Um, but yeah, again, you know, because of 2009, I, I structured that deal in a way that I wouldn't be in that position again, because it is a massive deal, and 68 acres is a lot to handle in Leduc, um, let alone anywhere else, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, farmer Harpreet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Toe in the land. Yeah. No, for I, sure. I love We're it. Farmers back home. So. Oh no yeah, way. My family's farmers back home in India. Oh yeah. wow. Not a coincidence, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, with regards to um, Edmonton, and I, I kind of made you hint at where this project is you're talking about on yep. the south side. Maybe you can answer that question by answering this one. Uh, which areas of Edmonton do you think are kind of underrated? Millwoods, for sure. Millwoods, 100%. eh? Old Millwoods is, is under underrated uh, right now. A okay. lot of large lots, a lot of people. Uh, I'm, I'm Sikh, so Punjabi. A lot of our community members... There's two Sikh temples there. And I think you see, you know, you go to Glenora and the other areas where you see all these skinnies. I think that will be Millwoods in the future. Oh, okay. Right? There's a lot of large lots there. And there's no, a lot of the people that have lived there for 20, 25 years, you know, the mm. kids aren't living with them anymore, right? So they're moving on. and But they want to be close to the community centers, the, the Sikh temple, and there are other relatives there, right? Right. So land is getting scarce as you go south and southeast even, right? Um, so I think Mill Woods will be, I don't want to say the next Lenora, but similar where they'll knock down homes. Interesting. You know, do skinnies, duplexes. And we're already seeing it. There's already homes in Mill Woods by the Sikh temples that, that have done this. And it's, uh, you know, as, as um, uh, Punjabi, we're normally supposed to live with our parents. It's kind of multi-generational, right? Mm-hmm. And my grandfather lived with us. So... I think that's changed now with the the new mindset. Like I don't live with my parents, so but I don't mind being close to my parents or right. other relatives. So I think these uh, homes uh, will will one day, you know, be knocked down, and possibly duplexes, skinnies, or row housing. Right. Okay. No, that's that. I was not expecting that. I was thinking somewhere else, but uh, yeah, that's such an old area of the city. I could imagine that there's a lot of uh, homeowners and landlords that are. You know, maybe at the tail end of the whole ownership thing, and yeah, they'd be willing sure. to, you know. So 
we were actually approached by somebody who owns they own 87 units and six acres of land and that's I mean, what you can do with six acres of land today oh yeah in mill woods i mean the density is not there so again going back to the density question i think these are areas to be looked at it's still going to take some time because there's value mm-hmm. in that 87 units but i do think it's something to look at in you know the next 20 years and do you think about the infrastructure coming that way too with the lrt and stuff for or? sure absolutely i think the lrt is really going to help mill woods right yeah as a as a metric i imagine that uh, the ease of transportation of an access uh, if you can kind of anticipate where that's going to be as a developer, that's a huge piece of the Absolutely. pie. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even Rio can in Millwood's Town Center, they're, yeah. they're looking at stuff there like towers and so forth, right? So you, so you already see it from the big boys. Okay. Very cool. Is there anything else uh, with regards to kind of your journey as an entrepreneur and just uh, continuing to invest in Edmonton and keeping your ear to the streets and everything that's happening and uh, all your success. Uh, did you have any kind of closing thoughts or ideas for the audience out there? Or? I would just say, like, I think your your audience is, is a lot of younger guys and, uh, you know, younger entrepreneurs. I think just keep, you know, keep plugging away. Keep work hard. Find find value adds, right? And I, I think, and to be honest, even the big guys, like, you know, talking to some of the, the, the developers, um, they're always looking at value adds too because that's how they started, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, one of my mentors is George Cannellini and, Anytime I talk to him, you mention a small deal to him, and it's just like creative. Yeah, you see the you see the excitement in his face, right? And it's oh just, yeah, it's really cool. And if one of my guys gives me a, a deal that's creative, you just see a lot of excitement. So keep it real, right? Keep it low, keep it real, and, and just do your thing and work hard. Absolutely, and uh, and hunt for the deals, like 100%. you were saying. Because I think a lot of people out there they see you on forty, under forty, and they yeah. just think that maybe all the deals come to you or something. Like hundred percent. I mean, it, it, we're seeing more deals, and so I'm thankful. Right. I'm very <laughs> thankful for that. Uh, but you know, uh, ten years ago, no, fifteen years ago, no, we were hunting. We were, we did some bad deals, man. Like so, I, I would just tell people just learn from your mistakes and and just keep going and uh, and and that's honestly just keep it real. I love that. Um, Harpreet, where can people find uh, find out more about Amrick Developments and everything? And uh, if they wanted to maybe reach out yeah, or sure. if they wanted um, to find out what you guys are up to. Honestly, email us at info at amrick.ca. That email comes straight to me or Romeo in our office. Um, we always look at it. We're st- like, like I said, we're still small guys. We're, yeah. We always want to keep in touch. We're always looking at new deals. So hit us up. Okay. And, um, you know, our office number is 780-420-6868. And just call and we'll answer, man. Amazing. Harpreet, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it and good luck. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of In the Hopper and uh, take care. Stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of In the Hopper. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really like the show, please share it on your social media or anyone who might be into business development or real estate or infrastructure. I'm sure they'd love to hear it too. Until next time, take care.